Hey, good morning, CrossFit family. I hope you are doing well. And uh, we are at the end of summer, and the weather finally feels like it's a little bit like fall. So I hope you're enjoying that. It was nice to put on a sweatshirt yesterday morning um, and uh, be cool and turn off the AC. So anyways, I hope you are doing well. And uh, we are looking forward to seeing you all. You know, in a couple of weeks, in two weeks, we're going to start our uh, in-person outdoor service at the Brea Community Center. And then sometime next month, we're going to be doing that in Irvine as well. And so we're looking forward to seeing a lot of you. It's been way too long and uh, looking forward to uh, being in person. Also, we'll be uh, streaming live our service here on YouTube as well. And so whatever uh, you, uh, however way you join us, we're looking forward to that. And uh, we'll be continuing our series through Habakkuk. And today we get to a section in Habakkuk where God responds to that desperate prayer that Habakkuk had made. You know, uh, he had prayed, how long will this last and why is this happening? And the same prayers that many of us have probably prayed a lot more these last six months. How long is this going to last? Why is this happening? And uh, it is in this section that God finally responds. And there's so much we get out of this. We see a couple of truths about God. We see that He is near. He is not far. Even though the circumstances look like He is not in control, He is always near. He is always present. And the second truth we see is that God is at work. And even though we do not see it or even understand it, God is still working. And so those two truths should give us a lot of comfort today, a lot of strength in how we live our lives. God is present. God is near. God is still working. And whatever you might be going through, let those truths be known to you. You know, uh, we get pretty excited when, especially young people today might get pretty excited. I read an article about how uh, which celebrities respond to their fans on Instagram the most and number one was, it was on People, I forgot what the article was, but I Googled it, it's somewhere. Um, it's probably outdated anyways, but it said, oh, it's one of the Jonas Brothers. I don't know if you would be excited, I guess I'd be excited. And second was Taylor Swift, you know, um, I don't know, but it, it'd be kind of neat, I guess, if there's someone who is so famous that finally recognizes you. You might just push like and like and like in every one of their posts, and if they like your like back or whatever, and they respond to you, boy, wouldn't that be pretty exciting? Years back, actually decades back, this is before the Staples Center was around, I went to a Lakers game. Uh, this is when Magic was still playing and Vladi, and these were kind of the uh, pre-championship years before Kobe, and I remember going to the Great Western Forum to watch a game, and I was about 10 rows deep, and in the front was Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds from uh, the, the San Francisco Giants. And he was in the front on the court talking with Arsenio Hall. And some of you are saying, who's Arsenio Hall, right? Well, that shows our age, I guess, right? You can Google him. So they're talking. And so I wanted to get a picture with Barry Bonds because he was uh, hitting the most home runs that year or whatnot. So I'm call, hey, Barry, Barry, I get kind of excited about athletes, right? And he was just ignoring me. I know he could hear me because every time I kept yelling Barry, I could see Arsenio looking at me uh, because I'm distracting their conversation. So after about six tries, I gave up on Barry. And I looked over, Arsenio, how about you, Arsenio? 
And he gladly came over, shook my hand, and we, um, he'd take a picture with me. I have that somewhere, right? I don't know where. I wish I had it to show you. But anyways, it's kind of nice when you call out to someone and they respond. And this is uh, God of the universe responding to the prayer of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is starting this short letter or short book here. Um, and he talks about his own cry. How long is this going to happen? Why is this happening to me? And then we see here from verse 5 and on is God's response. Verse 5, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished. First of all, we just see he responds. He is near. He is present. And that is so true for all of us, whether we feel it or not, whether the circumstances look like it or not. We often use the term blessed when things and fortunes go our way, but whether it goes our way or not, God is near us. And I want you to know that today, Crossway family. God is near you. And in verse 4 to verse 5, all of a sudden, the presence of God comes to Habakkuk. He reminds him he is there. He reminds him he hears him. He says, I'm near. I'm close by. Uh, the theologians have a few uh, terms about this. One of it is, we know, is the idea of omnipresence of God. That He is everywhere. This is a grand thought. This is grand. This is big. God is everywhere. So whether you are in Asia or you are in Canada or here in L.A. and you could pray to God and we seek Him, God is here with us. He is everywhere. But on a personal note, not only is God everywhere, but God is present in a personal sense with us. He is there with you. He is there with you in your kitchen or living room, wherever you're at. He is there with you in your home. He is there with you when you cry out to Him. He hears you personally. Uh, the passage that comes to mind that demonstrates this, we see in Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10. Let me just read a few verses. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. It's interesting that the psalmist here talks about this. He says, if I go up to the heavens, you think about this, how far do the heavens go? It goes on and on and on. It's immeasurable, he's saying. And so even if I go all the way till the ends of the heavens, till as far as the eye can see, God, you are there with me. Even if I make now uh, my bed in the depths of Sheol, the grave, even if I am under the ground of the earth, you are still there. And so he is contrasting this north and south. He says, I can't go north enough. I can't go south enough. God, you are there with me. Not only that, he says uh, in verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. It's a picture of a bird fully rested, the morning wings, and they fly out to the ocean, if you think about that. How far can a bird fly, even if I go all the way out into the ocean, as far as I can fly, I cannot escape you. You are there. Not only is God there, He leads me. His right hand shall hold me. Right hand signifying His power. He is there. He is there with us. So the psalmist also says in Psalm 145, 18, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. God is near you. 
So let me encourage you with that truth. First of all, as God answers Habakkuk, the first thing he learns is God is here. The imminent presence of God is made known in this passage. Those of you, I know there's a lot of families during this COVID time, this last six months, who have had babies. And we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to the baptisms of them, uh, looking forward to seeing them. Uh, and, and, you know, when, we, when our kids were little, uh, we tried, uh, often in futility, the sleep training, right? You say, oh, you've got to sleep train them. You've got to make them cry it out. And so the cold-hearted, callous you know, people would say, you've got to make them cry it out. And then the soft-hearted, the weak people would say, I can't make them cry it out. And I remember we tried that several times. And they would cry. I'm not going to say which one of my daughters, but one of them would cry like it is the end of the world. And during that time, I'd be actually in the room in the dark, right? Just to make sure nothing's going to happen. Nothing is happening, right? And then they fall asleep. And sometimes we are crying out like a little baby and we're saying, oh, I need this and I need that. Where are you? But right behind the door, right on the other side, all of these things are happening. Um, so, so God is present. Not only is God present, but the first thing God reassures him with is that he is still at work. God is still in control. And that's what we need to hear today, that God is still here. He is still in control. He says in the second part of verse 5, For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. I'm doing the work. God is still working. And he says, even if I showed you and I told you, you probably wouldn't believe it. And it's happening in your days, and really today it's happening in our days. Even during these times, God is at work. And if He explained it and demonstrated it to us, we'd still say, oh gosh, I, I don't know if I believe it. Really, God is at work in this way? It doesn't make sense to me. In all my wisdom, I cannot grasp it. I cannot see it. But God says, you may not understand it, but I am still at work. Theologians call this the providence of God. That God is involved in our lives. And I quote uh, J.I. Packer, who says it so well, and he defines providence this way, the unceasing activity of the Creator, whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill, He upholds His creatures in ordered existence, guides and governs all events, circumstances, and free acts of angels and men, and directs everything to its appointed goal, for his own glory. Now that's a, a, a mouthful. But one thing he says here that I love, that Packer says it's unceasing activity of God. He governs all events, directs everything to its appointed goal. And so what we might see in our perspective as short-sighted, in our short-sighted uh, perspective might see as the incomplete work of God or the lack of control of God we do not see the big picture as God pans out and sees everything. The providence of God is at hand. And he tells Habakkuk, the first thing he comforts him with is that I'm doing a work in your days. And let me encourage you, some of us, I know some of our CrossFit family and friends, you're going through some difficult times. We've been praying 
Uh, we've been praying for God to answer, to heal, uh, to help, to provide. And even in the midst of these times, and as we might all in general are going through a difficult time, uh, let me encourage you to be extra sensitive to the presence of God, how God is still working during these times. It is often in our trials we understand and we see the lessons of God, how God is changing us, directing us, upholding us. And sometimes in our frustration and, and lack of faith, we say, God, it doesn't make sense. God, I'm so frustrated. Why? How long? And God says, I'm, don't worry, I'm still doing a work. I'm doing the work and it is in your days. It is in your life. That's what he's telling Habakkuk. It's in your current life I am working. And not only does he tell Habakkuk he's working in his personal life, in his own circumstance. Remember, verse 1 through 4 was all in the singular. He's crying out personally to God. God responds in the plural about what he's doing for everyone. He says, Habakkuk, don't think that I've overlooked your life. I'm doing a work in your life. And God is doing a work in your life. Today, He is working in your life. It's interesting that uh, in the Gospels, over and over, there's a little phrase that keeps being brought up. And the phrase is that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Right? You see this in John 17, John 13, uh, in, uh, in the synoptics, as, in the other parts of the synoptics as well. That the Scripture might be fulfilled. This and this happened. Why is this happening? And then uh, God the Holy Spirit inserts that little phrase that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Just in case the reader, just in case you and I might read the gospel stories, says, boy, Jesus is getting dragged around. Jesus doesn't look like he has any power. Jesus is getting dragged to the cross. What is going on? He's being falsely accused. Is this part of God's plan? And right in the middle of that, there is that phrase, that the scripture might be fulfilled. It reminds the reader, God is still in control. God had written this in the Old Testament, that these things would happen, that Christ would be born in in this city, and that he would go through these things, and there would be someone to now betray him. All of these things were under God's control, even though if you and I were in Peter's shoes, we would say, oh, this is out of control. i got to deny him. This has fallen apart. It's under, under control. And not only is he working in your days, but he's also working in a grand scale in the nations. Um, if you're a news watcher and you watch the news and you see, we, we see some horrific things on the news with the, uh, the amount of cameras and things being recorded and uploaded on Twitter and so on. You see things all over the world happening. God is in control of all the nations. And so, on a personal scale, He's working in your days, in your life. But on a grand scale, He is working throughout the world. The whole world is in His hands, as we used to sing as little kids, right? He's got the whole world in His hands. He's got the whole world. He tells us here in verse 6, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to cease dwellings not their own. The central subject here is not the Chaldeans, it is I, the word I. I am raising up the Chaldeans. 
God is doing this work. Now the Chaldeans are also another name for the Babylonian Empire. Right? And they were growing in power and the southern uh, kingdom of Judah is being threatened by the Babylonian Empire or the, also known as the Chaldeans. And now they feel like it's any moment they're going to come and take over. And it is in that place that Habakkuk cries out. Why is this happening? And God says, hey, even the mighty Babylonians, the Chaldeans, I'm using them. They're part of my plan. I am working in them. The greatness of the Babylonian Empire or the Chaldeans is seen in verse 7 through 11. God uh, lists out their, uh, the description of who these people are. How fearful, how powerful they are. And it's almost as if as he lists out their power, he is reminding Habakkuk, I am the one that is over them. So don't be so impressed. Don't be so in awe of just the Babylonians. Remember the one who even controls the enemies, who uses even the enemies. It says in verse 8, speaking of their uh, military power, their horses are swifter than leopards, right? These kind of pictures that we see here. Uh, verse 9, they all come from violence, all their faces forward, right? They're, they're, they gather captives like sand, it says. Um, verse 10, it's interesting. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take. They laugh at every fortress, they go to every fortress and they laugh at the walls of the city. Because the city of Babylon, right? Uh, some of the historians of the day had talked and described the city of Babylon in this way. It was a 14 square mile city, not too big. But the way it was built, it was bisected by the Euphrates from the north to the south. So literally, the middle of the city was the Euphrates River going through it. So you can imagine how lush, how beautiful. Uh, for recreation, you can go out there. You have plenty of water. You have plenty of fish. Um, you had plenty for all the vegetation that they needed. So it was a beautiful city. And so it literally, as the Euphrates would go through, they built the city. And the Euphrates split it down the middle. Historians say they had an inner wall and an outer wall. They had two walls. Parts of the walls reached up to 350 feet high. Uh, that is impressive, even in today's uh, modern uh, architecture. Not only that, but parts of these walls put together were thick as 87 feet, some historians tell us. 87 feet, it was a fortress surrounded by 250 watchtowers. The whole place was completely secure. And they said that within the city of Babylon, there was 20 years of provisions. In case the enemy surrounded them, they could live for 20 years on all that they had. Now some of us in our garages, we've got some things, right? The essentials, maybe in the beginning you went out, if you're like me, you went out and bought some canned goods. I think I still have a few cans of Spam here and there, a few extra rolls of toilet paper. The essentials. 20 years they had it for all their people. They said that the streets were lined with beautiful homes. Some were three to four stories high. Um, there was parks and gardens within the city. And so 
this city seemed impenetrable. And when they would go see the fortress of another city, it would be like a little sandcastle that a child built. They would laugh and scoff at that as it is described here. And they would say, this, this is nothing compared to ours. This is nothing compared to what we have. And you remember the story in Daniel when he is reading the writing on the wall. Right? He's interpreting that for the Babylonian king, the Babylonian empire. And he says, oh, you're going to go down. It is at that point that the Medes come and they divert the water from the Euphrates. While everyone is feasting and getting drunk, they divert the water and the water is now sent sideways and they just go walk, march right in under the wall and they take over. And so God works. No one is so big that we say, boy, how is God going to handle this? Nothing is so strong that we say, boy, can God even manage this? God is great and He is the one in control. And so as we read this, we come... Even in this uh, reply to the prayer, God is present with you, and God is working in your life. God is working in the nations. And so whatever you see on the news, whatever bad news there is out there, uh, take some courage. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still working through history. Somehow He's going to use this for His own glory. Even if he told us and explained it, our little minds probably couldn't understand or grasp it. But he is still at work. And so we say, what, what do we walk away from? And there was a couple of applications I wanted to share with us. With these beautiful truths, these wonderful truths about God. Uh, these applications. Number one is, let me encourage you to just witness the work of God and be astounded, as it says in verse 5. I love the response of God in verse 5. The first thing he tells us, tells Habakkuk is, Look, see, wonder, and be astounded. Look among the nations, see, wonder, be astounded. It's like uh, two pairs of synonyms. Look and see. Look, pause, don't talk, don't question, don't interpret. Just look and see. Witness it. And the second thing he tells us to do in this pair of synonyms, a repetition almost, is wonder and be astounded. Be speechless. Be amazed. This is in the plural. All these are imperatives in the plural. He's telling all the people of God to look, see, wonder, be astounded. The little phrase, uh, wonder and be astounded, you know, a, a form of that is translated in Isaiah 29, 14. Uh, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder, he says in uh, Isaiah 29, 14. Wonder upon wonder. You think about this. If you are astounded or in wonder, it's the picture of someone who is speechless. We use the words like awesome and amazing way to... Uh, lightly these days. Oh my gosh, that, you know, boba is awesome, right? That mochi donut is amazing. I thought I heard someone say this morning, right, as we were getting ready for, I don't know if they said amazing, but someone mentioned that, right? Sounded pretty good. But it's not amazing. The picture of wonder, be astounded, is a person who is speechless. Jaw is dropped. Ah, uh, I have no response. 
He's saying, just take a moment. Look and see. Wonder and be astounded. The writer of Ecclesiastes in 7.13, consider the work of God. Just look at the work of God. Consider the work. Wonder, be astounded. Stand in awe of God. So even when you come to a passage in Scripture, don't just read it for the application. What's the application? What's the five things I need to do for a better life? My best life? No, no just wonder and be astounded. When you come to worship and, and you, you tune in, and yeah, it's hard sitting at home tuning in, but don't just say, oh, I hope they, Bobby plays my favorite song. You know, Oh, I hope uh, Grace is singing today. I miss her voice. You know... It's to come and say, God, I just want to be reminded of the works that you've done. Just be in awe. Don't just say, is it useful? Habakkuk went to God to see if he could be useful. Why? How long? Give me some answers right now. And God says, hey, don't even talk. Just wonder. Be astounded. Be in awe. I remember years back we went to a family vacation in Maui. And almost, I think, every day, right around 6.30ish was the sunset. And I'm sure there are beautiful sunsets everywhere in the world, but the sunsets in Maui are literally breathtaking. And wherever we were, usually going to pick up food, right? That's all you do on vacation. What should we eat? What shall we eat? And Spam tastes better when you're on Maui, right? It doesn't taste good here. <laughs> Go to McDonald's. Oh, it's so good. It's just Spam. Anyways, uh, but I remember at 6.30, we would all pause. Literally, I would pull over if I was driving. We'd go, let's go, let's go, look at the sunset. And I remember one day, I pulled over at the side of the road uh, to look at the sunset. And I was kind of looking around. And it's almost as if the whole island had just paused. It just seemed like it got kind of quiet. The cars weren't going. People were pulling over. People were stepping out of their houses. And they were just in awe. They were just letting the sunset just soak in. And that's what God is telling us today. Don't scramble around. Don't panic about your circumstances. I'm here. Take a look at him, his works. The second application, if there could be one, is could we pray to trust God when we do not understand? So whatever hardships you're going through, I don't want to make light of it. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. That's what the church is here for in a big way, to help and pray together with those who are suffering, the suffering of the saints, and to go through it together. But in the midst of it, let me encourage you. In your tears... Let me encourage you to trust God, even if you do not understand. And even though you might be asking God, why, how long can you make this end? Are you really there? In the midst of it, keep trusting Him. The writers in the Bible remind us over and over that God is greater than us. Isaiah 55, 9 comes to mind for us. The heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. How much higher are the heavens above the earth? It's immeasurable, it's infinite. And so God says, let me 
give you something on earth so you could get an idea of my ways, my thoughts, and your ways and your thoughts. He says, you are on the earth, and as far as the eye can see, and you can go on top of, uh, you know, uh, a hill and look out a telescope, and you could try to see with the strongest of lenses how far you could see, because that's how much further away I am, my thoughts are, my ways are. You, you cannot grasp that. You cannot fathom that. But in the, still, we can trust him. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, talks about this, and he says about our own understanding, the lack of understanding we have, he says, for now we see a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Right? He talks about the future. He says, what we understand now, with our knowledge now, it's like looking at a dim mirror, a dark mirror. I remember when I first got my glasses, oh, this is right out of college, and I started wearing my glasses. I remember first time putting it on after I got it. I thought I saw fine, and I remember looking in the mirror and seeing all the details. I said, oh my gosh, I've aged. You know, you could see that. It's like you go to those stores in the mall back in the day, remember, like, what is it, Brookstone, and they have these mirrors. I always like to look in the mirror, magnifies your face times 10, and you see every pore on your face, every random hair you didn't know you had, some things on your face you should have washed off that you forgot to, right, whatever it is, and you see that. He says, it's like looking in the mirror. He says, you don't fully know. And he says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. He goes, later on. I will know, but now I just know in part. I don't fully understand, he says. So even though you do not see God or feel God or experience God, we keep trusting God. Uh, years back, many years back, I was speaking at a retreat up in Big Bear. And that, I had finished on Saturday night, and I was coming back home probably close to midnight, it's already kind of a dangerous, scary drive coming down that hill. And this is way before iPhones are around or anything. And just going on instinct. I've been up there dozens of times for retreats and different gatherings. Coming down that day, there was a snowstorm that I've never experienced. It was snowing sideways. And some of you have been in snowstorms like this. It's snowing sideways. And I'm trying my high beams, my regular head headlights. I'm trying everything. And I cannot see the road in front of me. At one point, I'm just looking at the lines, right, the, of the lane, and I'm trying to follow the road. And it got to a point I couldn't see that. And now driving down uh, Highway 330 on Big Bear, you make the wrong turn and you don't see it, you know, you're all of a sudden in San Bernardino, right? You don't want to miss that. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I could make it home. I definitely couldn't go back. And it was so pitch black. And in my rearview mirror, all of a sudden, I see... Uh, sirens. It was a police officer. And he just passed me by. And now I'm just following him. I can't see the road. I can't see where the, the road ends. I can't see the guardrails. I'm just following those lights. I'm assuming he works this road. I'm assuming he knows this. And he knows his way. I'm assuming he knows where he's going. And I'm just looking at the lights. And I don't want to fall too far behind because I, then I'll lose sight of the lights. It was that far. And I was only a few car lengths behind him. And I'm following him down. 
It's probably the most stressful 30 minutes of driving or so. And it was like, oh, finally I could see. Uh, we may not be able to see that far ahead. And we are finite beings. We're continually learning things. But God is infinite. God is all-knowing. God's ways are higher than ours as far as the heaven is above the earth. And so we keep going. There's a story of a man who had visited Mother Teresa back in the day when she was in Calcutta and she was taking care of the people with leprosy who were dying of leprosy. And they called it uh, where she was at the house of the dying. Right? And so people would come often and they would spend time there to learn from her. And there was a man who came to spend, a young man that came to spend three months. And he gets a chance to interact with Mother Teresa. And he asked Mother Teresa if she could pray for him. And she asked him, what can I pray for? And he responds, can you just pray that God would give me some clarity? I just need to know what God wants me to do. I need clarity. And she pauses and she says, I don't know if I could pray for that. And he says, well, why? Because I want to be like you. Your mission is so clear. What you do is so clear. You have so much clarity. And she almost laughs at him and says, and her response is recorded as, I do not pray for clarity. And I will not pray for you to have clarity. I pray always to just have trust, just to trust in God. And oftentimes we want to go to God and say, God, give me some clarity. What is your will? What do you want me to do? And he says, just look at the lights Follow me down. I'll get you through the storm. And so we learn to trust. And lastly is we ask God, would you ask God today, God, help me to grasp the goodness of who you are, that you are so good to us. Philip Yancey writes in one of his books and reminds us not to confuse God, who is good, with life, which is hard. Life is hard for everyone. Life is tough for everyone. But don't confuse God who is good, who is in your life, who has given your life, with the circumstances of life. Whatever we're going through today, God has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. I close with this uh, story. Alan Gardner was an English missionary. Uh, in the early 19th century, he was shipwrecked. And the story of him goes that uh, he was shipwrecked off of a remote island off the coast of South America. And they were waiting to be rescued. And rescue did not come. Eventually, months later, rescue showed up. And what they found several months later was uh, Alan Gardner and all his contemporaries had perished. They had starved to death on this remote island. And they found in his possession a journal that he had been writing. And the last entry that he had written, as they opened it up, he quotes Psalm 3410, Those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then underneath it, he comments this, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Here is a guy stranded on an island. Here's a guy who doesn't have provisions. And yet, he understood, and he is overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. God calls you today to look, see, wonder, be astounded. The same invitation was given by Philip to Nathaniel, when Nathaniel asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see who Jesus is. Come and see. And today we take that invitation. Come and see. 
the Lord of our lives, the Lord of the universe, is working in your life today, and He is with you. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. He is with you. And so let me encourage you with that. Let that increase your trust in God. Um, take a moment and just pause and wonder on the goodness of God that we see on the cross. And with that, I close with just this lyrics from the song that we're going to sing. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. May that be your prayer today. Lord, that is our prayer. And uh, we're all, Lord, been going through so much, and our prayers are very similar to Habakkuk. Why is this happening? How long, God, are you there? And you remind us you are here. You remind us you are at work in our days amongst the nations. And so what we cannot fathom, what we cannot understand, we still trust. You are there. From the moment that we wake up, Lord, till we lay our head down, God, we're going to sing of your goodness to us. We are reminded of that truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.